Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends, are you ready for government to dictate and control your lives again? You're one step closer. J.B. Pritzker, our tyrannical governor. All right, Darren Bailey, not now. Illinois is a state with a grand history of profound impact on our nation and our... J.B., come on! Dolphin! So much stuff going on in the Ben Jarofsky show. Hey, your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, September 23rd. It's just moments away, but before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor are sponsors. The Chicago Teachers Union. And, of course, Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to buy and smoke or eat. However you consume that, it's true. That and columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, subscribe, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. You can become a binhead. chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. It is Thursday, September 23rd, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome Andy Fox, and it's another City Council synopsis with the one, the only, Mr. Bike, Mr. City Council, David Glowatz. And now your host, Mr. Attic, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this the annotated Nicki Minaj Thursday, and here's why. So I was having this conversation yesterday with a super smart millennial who doesn't want to be identified. So let's just call her Lady Baltimore, which is a heck of a lot better uh, nickname than the one, the other one, which was Lady Tree Pose. Anyway, don't worry about the nicknames, ladies and gentlemen. Focus, people, focus. The point is, we were talking about anti-vaxxers, and I mentioned that I found their stubborn resistance baffling. I've never seen anything like it in all my years. I've lived a lot of years. Such willful ignorance in the face of all the evidence. People dying, schools closed, kids in quarantine because they don't take a vaccine. And if you show them the facts, they say you made it up which got us under the subject of Nicki Minaj, a super powerful, rich, and influential hip-hop mogul who set off a controversy last week when she said, and I paraphrase, that she was hesitant to get the vaccination because her cousin had a friend who got the vaccination, causing his testicles to swell up. And so she cautioned her friends, and she has millions and millions of friends, way more than I do, like 22 million Twitter followers, 22 million pe- people just think about that. We, we're so proud and happy. We got over 1 million downloads for this podcast, and she's got 22 million to follow her every day. Anyway, she cautioned her followers to be hesitant 
about the vaccine. And she said she was going to go talk to doctors and study the evidence and keep informed. And I had visions of Nicki Minaj curled up on a sofa reading the New England Journal of Medicine. And immediately, doubters came in, pointing out that there was zero evidence that anyone had ever heard of anyone ever getting swollen testicles from a COVID shot. And that if her cousin actually had a friend who did actually have swollen testicles, it was probably an STD. If that friend existed at all. And suddenly I had this vision of the cousin's friend. It was like the imaginary friend I had when I was in third or fourth grade. I would walk to school with my imaginary friend and we would talk. He would talk to me and listen to me. <laughs> it was good to have an imaginary friend. When times are hard. Anyway, I mentioned all this to uh, Lady Baltimore. Well, not the imaginary friend part, but the Nicki Minaj part. And she said, I wouldn't be surprised if Nikki got the shot. And I said, what? And she says, yes, that's right. And I said, but why would she, was, would she say she was concerned about the shot if she already had it? And my very smart, very, very wise younger friend said, because she wants her anti-vaxxer followers to think she didn't get the shot. And that's when the light went on. Oh, my goodness. Nicki Minaj is like one of those Fox newscasters who gets the shot and pretends he or she hasn't got the shot so that they look like they're about the same as their millions and millions of anti-vaxxer followers who haven't got the shot and won't get the shot, even though the Fox News personalities probably think these followers are wackos. And she's doing it like because she wants to look, I don't know, cool. Like I would be trying to look cool if I were singing a Nicki Minaj song, which I will not do. One, because I can't sing it. Two, because I don't know any Nicki Minaj songs. Anyway. When Lady Baltimore said that, the skies opened up. It all became obvious. And the cause for why she was doing what she was doing became so clear. And I was kind of disappointed, I have to say. Because, as I pointed out to Lady Baltimore, the one thing I respected about hip-hoppers is that they were supposed to live by a code of honesty. That they were going to be true to themselves no matter who they offended or what they said. No matter like what words they used or people they outraged, they're just going to have to be true to what they believed. Now here is one of the greatest rappers of all time, potentially, and I say potentially because it's only a theory, tailoring her message, censoring herself to appease her public. So yes, I was disappointed. But on the other hand, the new explanation makes a hell of a lot more sense for his, her hesitation than the original one about her cousin's friend and his swollen testicles. We got a great show today, everybody. Andy Fox from the city of Chicago is with us. I'm looking at him right now. And later on, Dave Glowatz. Yes, Mr. Inside Government, Mr. Bike himself will be joining us for another one of our famous Chicago City Council breakdowns. Uh, Dave's got at least five. I think he's got five clips, he told me, uh, from the recent city council meetings. We're going to analyze them. I've not heard them, folks, so I'll be operating without a net. Uh, it's always interesting to do that. Anyway, before we get to Dave Goatz and the city council, let's turn our attention to Mr. Andy Fox from the Chicago Office of Labor Standards. Andy, thanks for joining us. Hi, Ben. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing very well. And before we get any further, people are going to say, is that the same Andy Fox who's an outstanding bicyclist who's been known to ride like hundreds and hundreds of miles all week, every weekend? I'll go, yes, that is the same Andy Fox. Andy, can I reveal a little secret right here on this show? Let the cat out of the bag a little bit. I was uh, having uh, dinner with a good friend of uh, our family's. Uh, a young man, Brendan, was there, and we were chatting, and he's a bicyclist. And he said that uh, he was going to go bicycling. Like He's had to get up in the morning. That's what he told me. And he said, I got to get up like 4 in the morning. 
I'm like, good God, why? Because I'm going to go out to Galena. I think it was Galena. And it was, we we're going to go biking with Andy Fox. I go, wait a minute, the Andy Fox? What a small world it is, Andy. So really briefly, before we take the deep dive on uh, what your department's doing, just talk a little bit. Bicycling, is that true? At every weekend or most weekends, you go for like hundreds of miles of bike riding uh, with a, a core of other bicyclists, insanity, insane people or enthusiasts, whatever the word may be. It's very true. I ride year round. And Brendan works for Fight for 15. I met him through, and he's an amazing cyclist, and he's an amazing organizer. So props to Brendan and all the Fight for 15 people that we've been able to help out uh, within the context of our labor protections. Um, yeah, we ride a lot. I ride maybe 180, 200 miles a week on an average. I try to do less than 10,000 miles a year, all outdoor miles. This year, my goal is to get a trainer and ride a couple miles indoors. I'm in, uh, I'm in like West Lawndale area right now. Last year, in the, in the coldest of cold days, at negative seven degrees below zero, my bike computer shut down. And I realized on that day at that time, Maybe it's too cold to be outside. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, you should get an indoor trainer instead of suffering life and limb on the west side, which is the best side, by the way. Wait a minute. So let me, uh, this is, I really don't want to go too far afield, but what's a bike computer? Yeah, it's a little a computer on the front of your bike. It, it gives you GPS information, temperature, watts, speed, heart rate. It lets you map turn by turn. It's your lifeline in the middle of nowhere. Uh, man, that's some serious, crazy biking. I, when I go, I bike to the library. I got, I got no bike computer on my bike. Uh, but uh, shout out to you and Brendan. And uh, uh, anyway, you mentioned Fight for 15. That's a perfect transition. Uh into what you do with the uh, Office of Labor Standards. And I remember the fight for 15 when it came to Chicago, Andy. I don't know if you were here, but I think it was around, I remember uh, it was an action that uh, the fight for 15 activists took in on um, the, th the Friday after Thanksgiving. And I want to say 2012, where they went to a water tower place uh, and unfurled a banner uh, that said uh, $15 an hour. It just blew everybody's mind. You know, the world was so different back then. The notion that workers, uh, non-unionized workers, would organize, demand $15 an hour when the going rate was like $8 an hour back then. And people la la scoffed at it, laughed at them. Uh, and yet here we are, uh, eight years later, good God, nine years later almost, uh, and the minimum wage ha is at 15 in the city of Chicago. Uh, and the city of Chicago has an office dedicated to root out some of the same injustices that people scoffed at these activists uh, for Fight for 15 for revealing. So shout out to them uh, and talk about how the city, if you will, Andy, transitioned from relative indifference in 2012 to the situation to where we now have an office dedicated uh, to rooting out these problems. Go ahead. Well, it's it was a fight and thus the fight for 15. And so the Office of Labor Standards was created back in uh, January, I want to say 2019. And even before that, the office was, there was an ordinance passed, and, but the office was first funded in January 2019. Um, it was founded by ordinance in October 2018. January 19, 
they funded the office. They brought me in October 21, 2019. So if you're looking to celebrate my anniversary, it's coming up end of October. It's kind of a, a, a benchmark of our success. And since then, I mean, it started with minimum wage, paid sick leave, and it has expanded through time to encompass minimum wage, paid sick leave, one of the most progressive ordinances in the United States about scheduling called the Fair Work Week Ordinance. During the pandemic, we created the anti-retaliation ordinance related to COVID-19, and we also passed a vaccine anti-retaliation ordinance. And, you know, not that I want to shoot it all in the first shout out, but we just passed in the Shy Business Strong Initiative the first ever wage theft ordinance. All right. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, let's start one with the one I know the least about. Excuse my utter ignorance. Uh, the vaccine anti-retaliation ordinance. Uh, I, I must uh, acknowledge uh, ignorance. I do not, know, do not know what that is. So please explain to me and my listeners what that is. So during the pandemic, as vaccine mandates went out, um, employees wanted to get the vaccine. Remember the early days when the vaccine became available to people? And so some people had sick time, some people did not. And if you had sick time, you said, hey, listen, I want to go get a vaccine. Was that covered under your current paid time off, paid sick leave, vacation time? It should be. And that was really the sentiment. Like, we want to encourage good employers not the unsavories. We have to force the unsavories to act well. So if people need to get a vaccine and you require it, you're going to pay for that time off. So if you, uh, your employer said, hey, you need to get a vaccine then to work, you'd say, great, I've scheduled it for this Friday. They'd be like, well, use your own time, buddy. We're requiring you to use your own time. This ordinance requires the employer to pay you for that time up to four hours. You know, for example, if you're in Rogers Park working and you have to go down to Hegwish, it might not be 30 minutes to get down there, right? Or East, Chica, East Side. I, I like, you know, I know every inch of the city through cycling. If you ride 10,000 miles, you, you know the city. So all the neighborhoods of Chicago are not contiguous to where shots were offered. And early in the pandemic, we saw that people just wanted, and we wanted to encourage people to do that. So if you force employers to give that time, paid time off, more people get vaccinated. And that was really the gist of it. And that's what it's been able to effectuate. Man, that is some, some serious cheapness. You're not going to give a guy a couple hours off to go get the shot. Uh, even if he does, and by, if he doesn't get the shot, he can infect you. See, Andy, don't get me started. This country's insane. That is some serious cheapness now i just need to know was there resistance uh to the uh vaccine anti-retaliation ordinance was there like businesses saying oh my god i could just hear the lobbies i know i could just hear the i could see the guy's face would be the you don't understand andy the margin that we're operating on is so slender this could put business out of business did you get that kind of uh blowback from various uh, business representatives surprisingly i think businesses and mainly the, think of the essential and frontline workers like they were have a hard time getting people to show up to work and then asking people to show up to work sick rather than vaccinated so in in a rare instance of cooperation we saw employers and employees get along and that's really where we've tried to strike the balance 
at the Office of Labor Standards. Like if we do something like we did with the hotel workers right to return ordinance, like we want to get hotel workers back, hotels, you want them back, let's help them come back and give people like that priority if they've been laid off when they come back. And so, you know, where you can strike a balance, surprisingly, interests uh, coalesce and come together. You can reach consensus. All right. Uh, there's, I'll give the business, I'll begrudgingly give these business owners a little uh, credit for uh, not opposing that one, but they did oppose sick leave. I do definitely remember, uh, Andy, the fights over uh, their opposition to, to sick leave. So why don't you uh, clue people in on what exactly the issues were, uh, how challenging it was uh, to get that passed. Go ahead. Well, I mean, in both minimum wage and paid sick leave, each time near July, we see employers, and I've been out in the community meeting with employers, one of them and a particular uh, elected officials ward wanted me to come out and explain why the minimum wage would go up each year and wanted me to walk him through why the sick leave, why are you burdening us with the sick leave? How dare you invade the province of me? I have the best interest of my employees at hand. And it's like, I know, but this is the law. So we're gonna set the bar, we're gonna set the minimum of sick leave. And, you know, we take for granted the fight for 15 and all they did to help it. We don't take it for granted. When you go outside the city, the state minimum wage is $11 right now. Oh my God. And so sick leave requires that you give people up to 40 hours if they accrue it during a year. We, you know, and, and, and interestingly, some are still trying to get around that. For example, we've had recently some smaller businesses uh, like laundromats and businesses who, if you have less than four employees, sometimes you can avoid the minimum wage and they believe because they've avoided the minimum wage, they can also avoid sick leave requirements. So, you know, what we try to do is kind of understand the community that we're working in and close loopholes where they exist. So, sick leave uh, is super powerful, more now than ever. I mean, do we want people who are sick to show up to work? I mean, our biggest settlement ever was related to a multinational corporation denying 2,500 workers of sick leave from 2017 forward. Like the biggest Burger King operator in the United States had zip, zilch, zero sick leave for their employees. It was like now during the pandemic, they created some sort of minimal approach to it and they quickly responded when we called them on it but it's like dating back to 2017 2500 people didn't have access to sick leave this is it shocks the conscience man so how did how did you uh how do you come upon these cases like did you discover the case with the burger king well it's one person you know what we've done through the office of labor standards is try to do education outreach and establish trust and so it's hard for someone to call 311. It's as simple as calling 311. Hey, you know, my son works at Burger King and he's not getting sick leave. I think he's supposed to get sick leave. One person from one Burger King location called us. We subpoenaed the information anonymously because we don't identify that person for all the employees at a location in the back and forth between the subpoenas and this entity that worked out of Texas, um, kind of managing it all. We figured out that one, you don't have any sick leave at all. 
And two, we would like a list of all the locations that you have in the city of Chicago, to which there were 40 locations in the city of Chicago where no sick leave happened. So it's complaint driven. In the coming years, we're looking at doing proactive investigations. For example, we've got this working group. It's called Protecting Workers Working Group. And we, we, we work in emphasis areas. We've got a policy working group. Last year, we had an interagency group. This year, we're going to have an implementation group to implement these ordinances. If they were to say, listen, we believe that radio stations are abusing sick leave of their employees all over the city, and they're they're doing something wrong. So we could proactively investigate like an audit. Okay, radio stations, we've picked one in every ward, one in every part of the city because we want to distribute this equitably to all the neighborhoods and not target anybody based on demographics. We'd like to see your sick leave policies. Survey and understand, and then where we saw more, dig in deeper. So proactively investigate those areas that are kind of brought to us by the community. All right, I am now uh, going to give voice to my inner Republican uh, that exists uh, deep down inside my soul somewhere. I'm going to pretend I'm a, oh, I'm going to pretend uh, instead of a staff writer for the reader, I'm an editorial writer for the Chicago Tribune. And so, Andy, I will say to you this, or Chicago Cranes, I'm going to put the Crane Chicago business and the Chicago Tribune together into one voice. Here we go. Andy? What, you're, what you are requiring is the first step toward communism. It's the first step toward socialism. You're taking away free market initiatives. Uh, you're not a lot. You're putting, you're putting uh, uh, a burden on the back of businesses. It's because of people like you, Andy, and ordinances like this ordinance and uh, your little investigators that so many businesses are fleeing to the great state of Indiana. I'm not making this up, Andy. I've read these editorials. They say this. Uh, So you're the reason that Indiana is blooming and Chicago is really on the ropes and the state of Illinois is really on the ropes. What's your response uh, to me when I uh, open up my inner Republican, my inner Chicago Tribune editorial board writer? Well, when the Office of Labor Standards gets a complaint from a worker, you know, the engine of the city comes to mind. And I'm up and down all the chambers of commerce all over the city. And Rogers Park and Lawndale and Hagwish and whatever part of the city you're at. West Loop, South Loop, Bridgeport, Canaryville. We're looking out for the mom and pop organization. So, for example, there was one close to um, the lake near 43rd Street grocery store. And when we let them know that, listen, you got to give your people paid sick leave. They were like, really? Oh, my gosh. We want to fix it. They immediately came into compliance. They were very responsive. And what we do is we want to get the workers what's due to them. And we have a compliant business that cures the defect will reduce or drop down the charges. We're very cognizant that these businesses all over the city of Chicago, and and I've had a few days. Daycares, um, daycares let other people go to work. Daycares are pivotal. And I tell them that. You are so critical to letting other people work in your neighborhood. Listen, I'm going to help you get into compliance. You work with me to pay the workers what they're due, and we will uh, we'll measure out the fine based on your ability and your willingness to cure these defects. No judgment. 
you're small. You didn't know that you had to have paid sick leave or you didn't know that the paid sick leave, I mean, I try not to judge people, but what I wanna do is help them cure these defects, get the workers their money. I'm not looking to pad the coffers of the city. That's not what we do. We wanna get workers made whole, get them their living wage, and we're gonna work with the mom and pops. Now, if you're egregious, like this national corporation, they have no real excuse for why they didn't pay 2,500 workers paid sick leave dating back to 2017. So, you know, you measure out the measure of compassion based on the employer. You know, it, it's, and that's, we just started this domestic worker campaign, I think it was last year, and it, it means so much. Well, it means a lot to me personally because at the time we launched this campaign, it's called Your Home is Someone's Workplace, to kind of escalate and elevate the issue of domestic workers, my dad was really sick. And I had domestic workers in the home of my father 24 hours a day. And I met, I, and I was meeting these people that were kind of keeping my father alive. And it was really impactful to see their educational background, the money they were making. And just to know that they were taking care of my own dad really impacted me. And so uh, of note, the mayor's mother was a domestic worker. So on that also, we've got a champion in the mayor of the city of Chicago fighting for domestic workers. And we also released a contract because trust is t tricky. So getting a domestic worker to call 311 or mail in a complaint is super hard. So we've contracted with a worker center called Arise Chicago to do education and outreach for us in the communities where the domestic workers are at. So that's like, if I were to highlight anything today, we're really trying to put a star on domestic work in the city of Chicago and just bring those people into the light of day. Andy, you're a very dip a diplomatic person, man. Uh, I started off by asking, what would you say the Chicago Tribune editorial writer for was me? I'm like, man, you guys write the worst editorials. No wonder nobody reads you. Anyway, sorry. That would be me, not you, Andy. Uh, let's talk about wage theft. This... This, this has been an issue. At first, it was the fight for 15 people. Uh, I want to give a, a shout out to them. We're the ones who uh, alerted me uh, to what was going on with a lot of food. It, it was like uh, McDonald's workers and Burger King workers and franchises throughout the city. And uh, so why don't you explain to people what wage theft is and what the city can do to crack down on it? You know, when we looked at it, it's estimated that 146,300 workers in Chicagoland experience at least one pay-based pay violation each week to the tune of $7.3 million per week in stolen wages. Hmm. But stolen wages, it's more than just not paying you at the end of the week. It could be that. Like when you're hired, you're let go, you're working like lawn care or whatever, and they don't pay you your last paycheck or they deduct something from your last paycheck. It's also the denial of sick leave. So if you're supposed to be getting paid days off and they don't get it, it's the denial of benefits. It's in some places you might work 40 hours and they're gonna pay you 30 and be like, hey, what do you want me to do? So like watching, you know, even though a lot of these systems are electronic, manager overrides happen and you could be paid much less. So what resource, does an undocumented worker have to complain about his rights or her rights? Right? So, you know, people in positions of power abuse their authority. We're going after the most unsavory. A wage theft is not something that we take lightly. And so 
we through that, that campaign of the Protecting Workers Working Group, it was just prioritized as something we really needed to move on. So I'm excited to enforce it. And that, um, I might take odds with an editorial about out-migration of employers. I mean, the good businesses love this stuff because it lets them take out the unsavories who are preying on workers through bad business practices. Well, first of all, all right, we go back to my example of the editorial writers. I would take issue with the editorial writers because, uh, as Rob Perel just pointed out on the show recently, demographer Rob Perel, actually population trends, uh, Chicago remained uh, fairly stable in terms of population. It's downstate Illinois that's losing it, something you'll never read of from an editorial writer for the Chicago Tribune. That's for sure. All right, enough on that. Uh, and finally, a minimum wage. And, oh, my goodness, the fight over minimum wage, it's still howling. The Republican Party is pretty much dedicated to eradicating the minimum wage. Uh, I think the leading gubernatorial candidates uh, in the state of Illinois uh, have advocated that. Uh, but uh, here in the city of Chicago, Chicago's a very democratic city. Uh, so far, a lot of support for the minimum wage. Talk about what the minimum wage is now and what you have to do uh, to make sure that employers don't undercut it. So it became the fight for 15, but it's the fight for 15 and beyond. You know, so there are two classes of employers in Chicago. One is those who have 21 or more employees. They're at 15. And then next year, it will be tied to the consumer. It will be, um, if the rate of inflation is less than 8.5%, it will be tied to the consumer price index if it's less than 2.5, which is a lot of uh, lawyer talk for it continues to go up tied to the consumer price index. If for employers that are smaller, we appreciate that smaller employers have a different burden. We put them on a slower ramp to 15, and that was, it was 1350, it's now 14, it'll go to 1450, and then it will go to 15. It changes each year, each July. Um, what, what Another important thing we've done in the area of minimum wage um, is that we've eliminated certain exempted classes like some people, employers, take advantage of youth or elderly or people who have disabilities and try to say, well, I'm employing these people and they're, they have a learning disability. That's kind of over. So in the future, those people who um, hire people with disabilities as learners under federal law will be required to pay them the full minimum wage. I mean, it just makes sense. You're, you're hiring people with disabilities. You don't get to pay them less and then help your bottom line. You should pay them the full minimum wage. You've got disabilities. So no, man. Um, those... <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, mean, I just gotta, I just got to say, it's just the arguments against the minimum wage that I've heard down through the years. And when, when I hear it, just the disabilities one, but also the, uh, the attitude that I've heard these – Businessmen tell me, you know, Ben, I'm hiring a guy, a kid who's 16. You know, I'm giving him experience, and uh, you know, this is really valuable. And later on, he'll thank me. I'm like, how in the world are you twisting you being cheap to keep more of the money for yourself and not share it with your the people who are doing the work as to some kind of like benevolent gesture that you're making to the 16 year old. Do you follow what I'm saying, Andy? It's like he's acting like he's doing a favor to the 16 year old. Well, the reason I don't hire the 40 year old at $20 an hour as opposed to hire the 16 year old at 10 because I really want to help the 16 year old. Do you follow what I'm saying, Andy? I really, 
It just it, no, it boggles the mind. It's mental gymnastics to justify making the recovery on the backs of workers. So we appreciate that the recovery, we can't overburden businesses, but you also can't recover on the backs of workers. And that's the balance. You know, we need to feed the engine of Chicago. If you were out this weekend, you saw all over the city, people are spending money, they're excited, they're eating food, they're clogging up my bike lanes all over the damn city. But I'm okay with that because that means we're coming back. Uh, and I love it. All right, man. He's, he, he says he's okay with that. But when you, when uh, Andy's in the wood, do you wear, what's it called? Spandex or latex, whatever it is. He's on his bike. He's flying. Get out of my life. On the right. On the right. I know it's on the left. Excuse me. Uh, uh, Mr. Bike has joined us. Andy Fox, our next guest, Dave Goetz, is here to talk politics. But I don't know. I don't know if you've ever met him uh, in, in his other life. He is a bicycling expert. He's written books about safe bicycling in the city. of. I'm not making this up. This is the honest to God truth that he's known as Mr. Bike. We will not be discussing uh, bicycling with him, but I just want you to know that you're in the presence of another uh, bicycling enthusiast who, who's the next guest in the show. Uh, Andy, before I let you go, just give folks uh, any information if they want to, uh, if they want to be a whistleblower, if they want to talk about the wage theft or sick leave, sick leave issues, what do they do? Well, it's as easy as calling 311. I want to make a complaint. You give us the name of the business, enough information to get it started. You can use your name. You can use just your first name, but we need to be able to call you back and follow up. We've also got a phone number, 312-744-2211. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate it. All right. Very good. Thank you very much, Andy. Safe bicycling, okay? Absolutely. All right, uh, that's Andy Fox from the city of Chicago. Dave Goetz was with us. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, Dennis, I don't know where Dave went. Dave! Where's Dave? (laughs) Dave's not here, man. I'm sorry. We're not cheating on you with another bike person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he thinks we're cheating on him with Andy Fox. No, we weren't even talking about bicycling. Well, a little bit, uh, Dave Goetz. Uh, All right, uh, Dennis, why don't we take a little break? And uh, play some of that great Michael Girardi music. Uh, and D- Dave Goatz will get over uh, the fact that we're talking to another bicycling. Maybe we, I'll call him up on his cell phone. Come on, Dave. We love you. Come on back, man. And we'll be right back with the great Dave Goatz. All right, Dave Goatz uh, from Inside Chicago Government. You have, as I understand it, five, at least five, or uh, as many as five, I should say, uh, clips from recent uh, Chicago City Council meetings. Is that correct, Senator? That is correct, Ben. And um, there is going to be some controversy. That hey, we're Dave, Dave, you're, you're kind of coming in a little funkier. Maybe take your earbuds out. We've had uh, problems with that before. Possibly it's your earbuds. Hmm. Yeah, it's it sounding a little crispy. Is that working? Uh, no, it's still sounding a little funky there. Of course, now I can't hear you. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> well, that, that uh, is a liability. Uh, it's still sounding a little funny. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this will all get edited out for the podcast, Lasia. You lucky right. live listeners are getting to hear this one. Uh, <laughs> real. And the funny thing is that Dave Glass does this a lot. Our show all the time, never a problem. So now he's... Justin, yeah, it's just it's still sounding. We can hear you, but you're getting like a feedback, weird, funky noise when you're talking. Oh, now we don't hear you at all. Okay. 
How about now? There we go. That sounds a lot better. We'll see how it goes, and I'll uh, keep listening. Very good. Don't go anywhere, Dennis. Got to keep listening. Sorry about that, friend. Uh, all right, Dave. So uh, take it away. Uh, you've got uh, up to four, uh, four or five clips that you're going to play for us. That's correct. Yes, then. The the um, September meetings of the full Chicago City Council took place on September 14th and September 20th. The first one lasted about five hours. Uh, the second lasted about two and a quarter hours. And in the latter meeting, Mary Lori, Mayor Lori Lightfoot spent about an hour giving her annual budget address. And the council spent an hour debating, why are you shaking your head? Because I... <laughs> I wrote about that budget address. I, I listened to the speech. Anyway, go ahead. Continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's the one she was talking about, Moses. And I'm not talking about Moses Malone. I mean the biblical Moses, but go ahead. Yeah, she was channeling her inner preacher there. It was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the council, so she better spend an hour on that, and the council spent an hour debating an ordinance that would, among other things, significantly shrink the area in and around the central business district where the city prohibits cannabis dispensaries. Still shaking his head. Oh, my God, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Just just hearing what they spend their time doing is warming me up. Why are there any restrictions whatsoever about selling reefer downtown? I will never understand that. Go ahead, Dave. Continue. Well, we're not going to talk about either of those things. We're going to talk oh. about the. We're going to talk about. Well, we're not going to talk about it anymore. How's that? We're going to talk about the first meeting of the September 14 meeting. All right. And one thing that was notable to me, you know, since I was there, was the first meeting in a year where no alderman attended via video conference since you know the start of the pandemic. Two aldermen were absent. Uh, second Ward Alderman Brian Hopkins and 20th Ward Alderman Jeanette Taylor, but they simply were not present. So those who were present, they were all present physically. Right. So for whatever that's worth. Dennis, we're going to please, we're going to do COP first. We're going to start today's conversation with the September 14 meeting um, that had something of a controversial issue. The council passed by a vote of 40 to 8, a measure that allows the execution of a collective bargaining agreement, which I'm sure you read about, Ben, between the city and the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 7, which represents Chicago Police Department patrol officers. But that vote didn't happen before lots of debate, some of which we'll hear now. It starts with 20th Ward Alderman Jason Irvin. Let's listen. What I believe that has been negotiated at this point in time is, is probably the best that we can do with the exception of trying to throw everything up in the air to go to arbitration. Now, granted, it is not where all of us would like to be. Not all members of the Chicago Police Department were out doing negative things in in our community. Again, it's a very small group of individuals who are essentially pushing and controlling a narrative that is creating the sense that everyone is bad. Chair recognizes Brian Sicho-Lopez. Let me just mention a few of the important points that we need to consider that are not included in this contract. This contract does little to nothing to ensure that there's accountability when there's false statements. And there's no provisions that ensure that officers provide accurate statements within 24 hours. This contract also does not include the report that every single public official should have, which is disclosed if it's secondary employment. I'm not even gonna mention the issues with back pay, 
20% increases without accountability. Alderman Ramirez Rosa. You know, I supported the police contract in the workforce committee. At that time, having reviewed the changes around police accountability, it looked like we were making progress. But since that committee meeting, I've had an opportunity to look at an analysis put forward by the Coalition for Police Contracts Accountability that looked at the 14 recommendations that they had put forward and the ways in which this contract fell short. I also had an opportunity to read a Chicago Sun-Times editorial put out by a number of faith leaders. And I'll read to you just a short excerpt. As it stands today, the contract front loads FOP demands for salary increases for rank and file officers, but it backloads necessary reforms that remain subject to continued negotiation. And there's simply no reason to assume that FOP will negotiate in good faith once its members have already gotten bigger paychecks. I've got to say that after reading this opinion piece, my mind has been changed. I've been swayed. I think that they've got the right analysis. There are more things that need to be worked out here on this contract. Oliver Nix Pizzotto. I didn't plan on speaking, but I feel the need to speak now. But let's remember, this has been about five years of negotiations, four and a half years under an old contract, not under a contract, but under an old contract. Some people are all upset about the 20% increase when, guess what? Real soon, we're going to be getting a 5.5% increase for the Alderman. So I'm just wondering how many of us have a problem with that 5.5%. I'm guessing not many. Um, and I think we deserve it, by the way. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't take it. About maybe 20 years ago, when we had to sign up for the police test, does anybody realize we had about 25, 30,000 people wanted this job? And if you go further back, get about 40, 50,000. In 2019, we had two signups. We had one in January and one in December. The reason we had a second one in December of 2019, because the one in January, only 4,000 people signed up to be officers, but only 2,000 took the test. So that we had to have another test. So then in December, again, same thing, 4,000 signed up, about 2,000 people took the test. Nothing in 2020. Now in 2021, we have less than 3,000 people to pull from. We go through 10 to get one. People don't want this job anymore because of the way they're treated, because of the way they're thought of by us, people in their communities. I'm not saying all of us, you know, most of us are respectful of police. And I believe most of the people in the city and praise them for the great job they do. But things have gotten out of control. Certainly criticizing officers for getting a well-deserved raise. I, I just don't think that's the thing to do. And listeners, you can hear additional comments from 49th Ward Alderman Maria Haddon in the extended version of this episode found at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. Ben, I don't usually like to ask you how you'd have voted on something, but uh, I'm going to do that this time about this approval of the, the contract. Um, how I would have voted? Yeah. I, I would have voted, uh, have it, have it, have it, have it. No, just kidding. That's me being scared to say. I would have voted for it. Uh, I want to point out that the uh, the vote was 40 to 8, correct? Is that yeah. what you said? 40 to 8? There's been so many votes lately. Uh, I'm getting them mixed up. And uh, the 8 would, uh, aldermen who voted uh, against it were all of my fellow lefties, uh, Democratic Socialists. Uh, Matt Martin, I believe, my alderman voted against it. I'm doing this off of memory. Uh, and they're, um, uh, as you played two of them, so you, we, we played a larger sampling of uh, 
people who were against it that actually uh, were in the city council uh, voting that day. Uh, but uh, their arguments are good arguments. And that is that the, all the reforms uh, that we need to, I hate using that word. Why do I use that word? All the changes uh, that we wanted to see uh, that would hold police accountable uh, for police brutality and police shootings that we've been advocating, that various people have been advocating for years and years are not in this contract. Uh, and uh, I, I believe that you, this will never happen in the city of Chicago where you bargain these changes through collective bargaining. That's going to be, have to be outside the province of collective bargaining. And I do believe that police officers need a, uh, deserve a raise. And I also believe that the way the city handles negotiations with police officers and firefighters to certain degrees is absurd. They play all these games where year after year they hold back. Uh, they let the contracts expire knowing that the police officers can't go on strike or won't go on strike. Uh, and then there's this back pay issue, retroactive pay. And I just, um, I think it just, it's bad policy from start to finish to allow, what was it? How many years had gone by Dave? I can't remember. I think you made four. four years. It's ridiculous. So let's end it. You're not going to get the fraternal order police to make concessions on these very important changes uh, in like the way police are required to provide information after a shooting or after an incident, you're not going to get that. And just so I personally would have voted just to, uh, no, man, all the lefties would be so mad at me for doing it too, but I would have, I mean, I'm just like, they deserve a raise. My humble opinion is a very tough job. It's a very important job. And uh, they deserve a raise, in, in my humble opinion. I say that. I, I mean, I think uh, Kent Zara, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police, is, the old, is his own worst enemy. And he's the own worst. The union right now, their leadership is the worst enemy for Chicago police officers. Why you guys uh, continue to elect Donald Trump supporters who are flying that MAGA flag uh, 24 or 7, uh, I will never understand why in your minds, when you're rational about it, you think that's going to help advance your cause. I don't get it. Uh, but in the matter of do they deserve a raise? Yes. And in the matter of is it right to make, make them wait four years? No. Uh, so I would have voted for it. You mentioned briefly the um, the arbitration issue, and, uh, namely that means that the issues that the city could not get the uh, fraternal order of police um, fraternal order of police lodge seven to agree to are going to go to a third party arbitrator to decide up and down on several several of these issues and. Some of the aldermen, such as Byron Sixto Lopez of the 25th Ward, who, who uh, were, were urging colleagues to vote against, the, the things that they're asking the, we're asking the council to consider is those things that now will go to arbitration. And the argument, I just want to clarify that the argument uh, to, to approve this is such that the union is the union knows that that, arbit that arbitrator is always sitting on the sidelines, and that's an option that's going to occur. And there's no reason, according to, according to this thinking, there's no reason for the union to agree to those things if they know that the arbitrator will. Uh, if, if they don't, the arbitrator is going to be the person it goes to. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I was getting at, and that's good. There was a little further clarification, uh, and so there's essentially. It, it, you either 
get the union to, uh, to agree to make these changes uh, at the uh, bargaining table, uh, or you force them to agree to these changes through a ruling of an arbitrator. And uh, I think you'd be have greater success with the latter than the former. Uh, and I, I'll repeat, I just don't think it's fair to uh, force uh, police officers to go four years without a contract. Uh, and, uh, and that's just the reality. And if you want to do it through the negotiating process, you start right now. You know, you don't wait till the very end. Now, uh, in defense of Lori Lightfoot, they inherited this situation, right? If it's if you go back four years, Mayor Rahm was kicking the the can down the road because he was the mayor. But mayors have always been afraid to confront the fraternal order police. We talk about this on the show all the time. Uh, there's that fear that you're going to be uh, labeled soft on crime. Nick Spazzato, that was a great job. Nick Spazzato uh, talking about a decline in the number of people who want to take the test. Nobody wants this job anymore, Nick says. I think you're exaggerating, uh, Nick. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, still... The fact that you had... How many people take the test? Did he say 8,000? Well, that's not... That that shows that somebody wants the job. So that's a bit of an exaggeration. Uh, I'd have to see the actual numbers to know uh, know, how many people signed up for the test in the past. But yeah... Dave, it's the reality is that um, we've had how many years of shootings and police brutality cases and payouts and settlements. Uh, It's a very tough, demanding job. And there's been a lot of bad behavior by individual cops down through the years. We never seem to want to address it. So, look, if you're going to just I do not think it's healthy for the city. It's police force. Uh, their their mental well-being uh, to deny them uh, the raise for another go for what would be five years. But uh, yeah, we have to, we have to, uh, we have to make these changes. I just don't think we can make them by mandate uh, on this bargaining session. So that's why I would have voted yes for the contract. What would, how would you have voted Dave? Let's flip. Well, watch this folks. Get ready for some real soft shoe dancing here. Dave, how would you have voted if you were alderman in the Chicago city council? I will talk to you about voting, but I'll talk to you about who voted. No. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Ramirez Rosa. I'm going to read you the list. Ramirez Rosa, Liz Spada, Mike Rodriguez, Sixto Lopez, Rodriguez Sanchez, Vasquez, Martin, Had, uh, and Hadden. Those are the yeah. eight. Yeah. As I said, the uh, my beloved lefties in the Chicago City Council, uh, six are uh, with the a Democratic Socialist, I want to say. Did you say Taylor in that list? Or was she, or she was not? Jeanette was she, not. She at, was not present. Yeah, she was uh, not present at the meeting. I'm sure she would have been with them. Well, I can't say for certain. Um, but yes, they would have been surprised. Come on, Ben, do it. <laughs> they would have been putting so much pressure. Nope, not going to do it. And then they'd be like, that's why we can't trust you. We're not inviting you any more of our meetings. <laughs> like, oh, all right. You have to play by yourself. Well, let's move on, shall we? Yeah, okay. Dennis, please, we're going to do Fork next. Um, we're going to move now to a discussion that occurred before the approval of an ordinance to limit the handing out of single-use foodware, like plastic forks, mm-hmm. from Chicago restaurants. And this discussion starts with the primary sponsor of this ordinance, 39th Ward Alderman Samantha Nugent. Let's listen. 
I'm really proud of this ordinance. I think it's a step in the right direction to reduce waste. Now restaurants are simply going to have to ask you whether you'd like single use items included in your takeout or delivery order. What I don't want to do is penalize restaurants right now for non-compliance, but simply push businesses and consumers to act in the right direction. The goal here is to take a first step. I'm not looking to boil the ocean. There's so much more that needs to be done for our environment. And I have always believed, and I continue to believe that small incremental change is the way to go about it. The chair recognizes Alderman Rosa. We've received outreach from the Illinois Environmental Council who has provided testimony against this ordinance. They state in part, while the ordinance has been framed as an incremental step towards waste reduction, the ordinance fails to be effective by including several major exceptions and no sunset date. In short, this legislation lacks the enforcement to meaningfully reduce plastic use and pollution in Chicago. Alderman Tunney. As a restaurateur, this is, as Alderman Nugent said, it's a step in the right direction. The biggest problem is everyone's getting their food delivered to begin with. So what about the emissions? What about the congestion? I mean, this is so much bigger than this. And, and we got work to do with the environment, but this is an incremental approach. You know, you're going after the small stuff. We are an embarrassment when it comes to the environment. I'm not worried about plastic. I'm worried about fossil fuels. I'm worried about people not caring about all the conveniences of getting them to their front door. Why don't you walk to the grocery store? I'm sorry for that, too. <laughs> Alderman Harrison. I'd like to know where we're reading from. Is there a summary of report that has been submitted to my colleagues or I that we can read the committee report like the others? But the others are submitted here. And folks, we're going to be moving all electronically as soon as possible. Dave, I think your microphone has gone out again. There are a couple things that I want to point out there that might not have been audible, just like me just now. <laughs> um, one was when Alderman Tunney said, uh, why don't you walk to the grocery store? Someone shouted out, we don't have a grocery store to walk to. And I can't, I couldn't tell if that was Alderman Derek Curtis or it, it might have been, um, I don't know, I, I mean, it wasn't really clear from the, uh, when, I, when I was there. Uh, I didn't. I couldn't see who where, where it came from. I just heard the shout that someone said. And then, um, then later we heard um, Alderman Leslie Hairston of the Fifth Ward say, "You know, you guys are talking about all the, this ordinance. Well, I don't have a report from the committee." And the committee chair, Alderman Cardenas, said, "Well, we distributed it electronically because we're trying to move away from paper." And it was uh, the, there. Were, there was some chuckling among the other council members, saying, "Oh, see, we're, we're trying to conserve uh, the environment here." You know, and then uh, as a as an aside, Mayor Lightfoot at the end there said, "We're going to be moving to all electronic um, distribution of reports." So that means that they won't be getting paper copies anymore. And that that was interesting to me as a kind of a, an aside because it seems to me they probably had not, the alderman had not been informed that this is something that's going to happen. And it came from the mayor, as opposed to from someone within the council, like committee chairs saying, folks, we're doing this. So that's, uh, you know, you and I have talked before about how the mayor, as the executive, 
plays perhaps an outsized role in the legislature. And that was just another perhaps example of that. Yeah. Uh, this, this debate uh, illustrates the power the, uh, that the restaurant uh, lobby has with the Chicago City Council uh, in the city of Chicago. And we've, I think maybe we've talked about this in the past, uh, Dave. I can remember so many debates uh, whenever the, the city moves to enforce any kind of oversight. Uh, with uh, uh, I remember the smoking ordinance. Oh, my God. <laughs> remember when they were going to outlaw smoking in restaurants and bars and Mike Ditka came? former coach of the Chicago Bears, came down, and former restaurant owner, came down to the city council to testify how outrageous this was. It was like the first step toward socialism, which would lead eventually to communism. He's a cigar uh, lover, isn't he? He was a cigar lover. And, we're gonna, and then restaurant people would be like telling Mayor Daley, we're going to lose business to the suburbs in Indiana. They always, Everybody's going to Indiana. That's their favorite one. I already talked about that with the 85. They're going to go to Indiana. And so... Uh, Mayor Daley held back. Uh, <laughs> what a weird city. And so, like, now here we are. I'm listening to this again. Tom Tunney, of course, is a restaurant owner. He's the ottoman of the 44th Ward. He's chair of the zoning committee. Uh, and uh, he was the one, of course, his restaurant was the one, as we like to point out, and had the um, – the cinnamon roll situation, remember, where you had a cinnamon roll speakeasy where during the height of the <laughs> pandemic when people, uh, when restaurants were not supposed to be open, if you knock three times on the door and said cinnamon roll, they would let you into a back room. Remember that one? Yeah, he was I pretty embarrassed him. about that. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't hear him on the city council in, out, in an outrage over that one. So I just, like, restaurants, first of all, I just do. I'm, I'm with Carlos on this one. I do think this is watered down. And I, Dave, you're gonna have to help me out with this. So I don't. I have a confession to make here. I don't partake. I don't use the door-to-door -door delivery services. The ones with you with your little apps on your phone. You know, man, what what a hustle that is. That forces restaurants to pay so much more to the. The delivery people, so they lose money. You know, the, it's such a I, – I just think it's just a hustle. And well, well, I, Arguably, I, though, Ben, it, it, in, during the pandemic, when restaurants could not seat people, it did help them maintain a level of business, according to some. They said it helped them maintain a level of business that they would not have had otherwise because people were not going to go to pick this stuff up. Some people, and let me just say this about that, and I'm going to sound like an old man. And I know I'm going to sound like an old man, okay? But unless you're infirmed, you can't walk. Come on, lazy Chicago. Get up and walk to the, re the restaurants all around you. We don't have a restaurant to walk to. Okay. If you have no restaurants to walk to, if you have no car, if you have no bicycle, I, okay, use the DoorDash. But Northsiders, and I would get, I would bet, that most of this business comes from the north side and uh, the loop. So don't act like you're doing a favor for the west side or the south side. That is, they love doing that. So what's your point, my regarding, point is, regarding this, this ordinance? Well, my point is, is that, um, wait, <laughs> what's your point? Where are you going with this? That's a good question. My point is, is that no deliveries that are made by uh, these little I don't even know what the hell they're called car companies that do the deliveries. None of them should have in the, the sack of with the food, 
a plastic fork. But they they don't. Those companies don't put the stuff in the bag. They just pick the bag up from the restaurant. Well, then the restaurant should not put any plastic. They should be outlawed in those. And I know because I've been at friends' houses who are lazy and live on the north side. Uh, I see the forks. Well, this is this is what that ordinance does. It stops. It tells those restaurants not to do that. Yeah, but they still they got a. I'm, I'm talking about the argument that the Restaurant Association would make and Tom Tuddy's making that somehow or other, this is an infringement on their ability to uh, make a decent living. I don't see how you need to. The argument for the fork is supposedly that uh, like if a person goes into a restaurant, he or she and wants to take a takeout and doesn't have a fork, then they can't eat their food. Well, the, 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 customer, the, the customer can still ask for it. That's the thing. So then they shouldn't be uh, app, they should they should not they should be banned. You're saying I'm going back to the issue of uh, their complaint that this is an intrusion on them. And I don't buy that. That's why I'm, I'm raising this, because I could never understand why they put the plastic forks uh, in the bags when they were doing the delivery in the first place. Yeah, it's a good custom, it's a good custom to stop. It, it's a complete and total waste. Yeah. It's a detriment to the environment. So I could never understand why there was resistance to that. And I think it's just there's resistance to any kind of change. That's just generally how the restaurant industry is. They're very territorial uh, on matters like this. So, and especially uh, coming out of a pandemic when they feel that they don't want any infringement on how they do business yeah. because they feel like, you know, they're, they're beleaguered, right? Yeah. So should a business, so should a, re, a customer be allowed to ask for a plastic fork? That's the issue before us right now. Should they be able to ask a restaurant for a plastic fork? Well, I have not often, but I have uh, been out and around not close to my home and had to get something to eat to take out. And I had no way to eat like it was pasta. I had no way to eat it. So I'd ask for a fork. But uh, granted, that is really rare. But, you know, I, I don't want to eat, I don't want pasta with my hands, you know. No, what you should do is keep uh, a fork in your knapsack for at all times when you go out. Uh, You'd be surprised at all the stuff I have in there. I think if I add a fork, it'll be the, it'll, it'll be the fork that breaks the bag's back. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I have a little difficulty with uh, Tom Tuddy's argument that somehow or others is an infringement. Uh, and, uh but I do, I do concede uh, that we have a lot of work to do with the environment. So I'll, I'll concede that point. We've got a, we've got work to do with the environment. Uh, Tom, Tom Tony channeling is in her Isley brothers. Go ahead. Dave. And we have work to do on our next conversation. Dennis, please. We're going to do text next towards the end of this September 14th meeting. Then something unexpected happened. 45th ward alderman, Jim Gardner asked to address the council. As you know, a couple weeks ago, media outlets revealed tweets by Gardner from 2019 where he used profanity and misogynist language to refer to city employees, contractors, and his own constituents. Soon after that revelation, two dozen aldermen issued a statement calling for Gardner to issue, quote, a sincere in-person apology, unquote. What we're going to hear now is an apology that Gardner read at the meeting. Then we'll hear comments from one of the signers of the statement I mentioned, that signer being 33rd Ward Alderman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez, comments that she made to reporters after the council meeting. Let's listen. 
Are you seeking leave, sir, to address the body and suspend the rules? Can you make a formal motion, sir? Statement. Any objection? No objection. Okay. We will suspend the rules for the purposes of Alderman Gardner to make a statement. I would like to address the, uh, the request for me to make a public statement regarding text messages from 2019 that were released to the media over the past few weeks. I stand before this body to offer my sincerest apologies for the pain and insult that anyone has endured as a result. I take full responsibility for my offensive words in those messages. I ran for office in the 45th Ward because this is the community that helped raise me. My neighbors have become family and my commitment to them fuels my desire to help create a thriving, welcoming, clean and safe neighborhood. Unfortunately, those comments do not reflect my values or the efforts of our team who work to make our ward a better place. And for that, I am deeply sorry. I wanna make it clear that I have never acted on those rants. However, they should not have been expressed. And it certainly was not my intention to demean anyone. This has been an embarrassment to many and offensive to others. And again, I want to apologize to those referenced in the text and to my family, predominantly my beautiful wife and my gorgeous daughter. I can do better and will strive to prove that through my actions as I continue to serve this great city. Today, I do not speak to you as a politician. I speak to you as a human being, a human being who has sinned. Thank you. It's really short <laughs> to start with. Uh, he said that his actions don't reflect his values. I really don't know how that math works because I believe that we should behave according to our values. I am looking forward to seeing what he is going to do in order to repair the harm that he has done. He didn't necessarily refer to how he's going to do that. So I am going to continue to try to push to get a hearing uh, to see how city council can have a discussion on, on his behavior and, and accountability. And listeners, you can hear additional comments about this episode from Mayor Lori Lightfoot, two reporters after the city council meeting in the extended version of this episode found at the Inside Chicago website, Inside, Inside Chicago government website, shygov.com. Ben, your response. Well, we've talked a lot about this a lot on the show. Ann Emerson was on the show of what people want to hear. She is a, a finance committee uh, aide uh, who was insulted by Gardner in one of his uh, texts. And uh, she came on the show and talked about it. And an older woman, Rosanna uh, uh, Rodriguez Sanchez, was on the show as well, uh, talking about it. Uh, so I, I had trouble with the apology. Um, well, I have a lot of troubles with this uh, incident altogether. Uh, but uh, for folks who need to know a little more about what uh, background, uh, these are private texts, texts that are exchanged between uh, Jim Gardner, alderman of the 45th Ward, and some unknown aide, and uh, a local, uh, was it a blog uh, website in his uh, ward, uh, got a hold of them, don't know how, uh, but and began publishing them. And he's gone, he's sort of evolved. Uh, his whole reaction to it has evolved. Uh, at the beginning, there was just like a reluctance to fess up to it. Uh, then he admitted that it, they were accurate, uh, and he made apologies to some of the people uh, that he offended in these texts. Tom Tunney, he called him up directly. He called Scott Waggis back up directly. <laughs> uh, Ann Emerson works, essentially works for Scott Waggis back in the finance committee, so he called 
uh, Scott Waggis back up to apologize to him for what he said about Ann Emerson. Very bizarre. Um, he uh, and a good friend of the show, Joanna Klonsky, insulted her as well. And uh, so he reached out to them. I guess he sent them a text saying, please call me, which is very bizarre. If you have an apology to make, you should do the calling. So very, uh, how do I put it? Very uh, uh, sort of, uh, I, I wouldn't say disingenuous response at first, but that's the word that pops to my mind. As almost like he's going to do exactly what he has to do to make it go away uh, and do no more until he finally came to this point. Because if he hadn't done this, Dave, I think the clamor to step down would have been so great. And now there's investigations as to whether he was doing intimidation. And so the part where he was saying where I wouldn't act on it was where some of the other texts where uh, he was like threatening to withhold services from people in the ward who were critical of him. And so essentially what he's saying, I was just venting and ranting and raving uh, in a private text. I didn't would never act on it. In fact, what Alderman Sanchez said there at the end, she said that he claims that these texts did not reflect his values and she's not buying it because otherwise, why? She says, why would you have said those things? I I, that's the other thing. Like values. What what does that word even mean in in something like this? That's a very good point uh, that Rosanna made. So he's trying to say, well, there's the way I behave and then there's the real me, you know, that nobody ever gets to see the real me. They only get to see the way I behave. But trust me, the way I behave is not the way I am. Well, if the way you if that's how you are, why don't you behave that way? You know what I'm saying? So I'm with her on this one. And um, look, we this this is. The inability of people to say they made a mistake. Uh, I, I talk about this a lot on the show, uh, Dave, just not just with Gardner, but so many different people. Oh, my God. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Nicki Minaj, just uh, the list goes on and on of of people almost every day. John Kent and Zara, Fraternal Order Police, Mary Miller, Congresswoman from Southern Illinois. They say stupid things that they uh, and then they want to defend the stupid things that they say. They don't want to admit that they were wrong. And then public pressure finally forces them to sort of make these concessions. And then they try to stitch their concessions together in such a way as to what? I don't know. Blame other people for them have the situation that they're in. So. A word that Gardner used that I've never heard anybody uh, who was making these sort of concessions that you're talking about, he used was the word sin. He said, I'm a human being who has sinned, which is, um, well, what's the word I want? Uh, it's uh, remarkable. It's a remarkable word. It's, uh, it, it, it shows a, at least if not a level of contrition. Now, having been raised Catholic, I understand what, what the word sin means, and, and we have in the or they have in the Catholic faith this act of contrition that one makes when one acknowledges a sin, whether he believes it or not, because we you know we can't read his mind. He he did acknowledge uh, moral wrong with that word, which was interesting to me. 
Yeah, I I noted that word. I wouldn't. I would, when he said it and uh it, it was like a confession that one might make to a priest uh and my sense is that that listen my this uh, my guess is a group of people went over this apology that he didn't just write it on his own Oh, he had probably had a consultant, but it probably wasn't Joanna Klonsky. You know, it wasn't Joanna. Our good friend Joanna was not Joanna. So, you know, a team reads it and makes suggestions. And, you know, if you put it in the context of a sin, I think a lot of people might be sympathetic to him. Yeah, yeah. I've sinned. Please forgive me. I'm showing contrition now by admitting it was a sin. And the responsible thing for you to do is do what Tom Tunney did. I don't know if you know, follow this one, but when he, uh, he, he, called Tom Tunney a name too in one of these texts, Alderman Tom Tunney. And uh, he, he called Tunney and apologized. And then Tunney's comments to the police was he police to the press was I'm getting all our conversations mixed up. His uh, Tunney's response to the press was, well, he apologized. So it's as far as I'm concerned, it's absolutely over. And so when you say I've sinned and I'm confessing my sins and I'm showing contrition, then the op is almost like an obligation to move on. To move on. I've sinned. I admit it, I sinned. Now just move on. And then the other people look bad. And you go, well, Ben, can't you just let them move on? And I don't know. You know, is, is that enough to say, I guess ultimately, really, the decisions of 40, I don't believe he's going to step down, Dave. I, uh, and I don't, I don't believe anyone in the city council is going to make a move to get him to step down. I don't even know if there's a move that they can make to do so. So ultimately, you've got three the, aldermen under currently under indictment. If that doesn't cause an alderman to step down, <laughs> what does? You know? Well, let's see if I could. You always, it's always a test. Can I remember who the three? Oh, yes. Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson of the 11th Ward, uh, other, otherwise known as the uh, nephew. The nephew. <laughs> Or the grandson, whatever one you want. Uh, and then you got uh, Alderwoman um, Austin of the uh, 34th Ward. Well, I, believe call, I believe calls herself Alderman. Okay, so Alderwoman. She, I, I call her Alderwoman. I guess I should bow to her, yeah, Alderman uh, Austin. And then, of course, uh, Dave's favorite Alderman, Alderman Ed Burke of the 14th Ward, who is shaking down uh, a Burger King. Allegedly. Yes. <laughs> See how quick Dave rises. To I know. I'm trying to keep, trying to keep you out of trouble, man. That's all I'm doing. Trying to uh, anyway. You. Allegedly, it's correct. It's alleged. It's an allegation uh, that the feds have made. Uh, anyway, uh, so those are the three aldermen. Yeah. So you're saying that if they're not going to step down for allegedly doing all these wrongdoings, uh, why would uh, it's not an allegation? Well, anymore with in the case of Jim Gardner, he's admitted he did it. <laughs> So can I say not allegedly? Well, he didn't admit that he withheld services from constituents, which is what uh, possibly authorities are looking into. Yes, that's true. Anyway, I uh, 45th Ward uh, voters, you get to decide. Are you going to forgive them? Depends on how many Catholics there are, I guess. Well, let's move on, shall we? Okay. Dennis, please, we'll do rules next. Also near the end of the September 14 council meeting, Ninth Ward, far south side, Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beal rose to talk about speed limit cameras. And these are the ones that photograph cars that are going over the speed limit. And I want to warn listeners that in this audio, Beal refers to speed light cameras, which might make you think he's talking about red light cameras, but he's not. He's talking about speed limit cameras. Let's listen. 
Got it. Alderman Mitchell, miscellaneous business. Madam President, I have been made aware that Alderman Bill filed a notice of intent to discharge the Rules Committee as to an item in that committee. Alderman Bill. Back in March 24th of this year, I submitted an ordinance which went to the Rules Committee. Since then, I have waited patiently to try to get a hearing to no avail. And so today I've submitted a Rule 41 to discharge the committee to bring before this body an up and down vote to repeal the speed light camera ordinance that was passed last year. Many of you all know that the speed light cameras have over doubled. The speed was changed from 11 to six, same time this year. So that means we are going to outpace by about 150% the amount of speed light camera tickets that are being hit to our residents every single day. We were told during the budget process that the speed light camera was a safety issue. But I bring before you today that there were 150 fatalities, but only one was around a speed light camera. So that 150 fatalities had nothing to do with the camera. It had nothing to do with hitting our residents upside the head with more fines and fees that they cannot afford. So I bring before you all today for up and down vote to repeal the camera ordinance to move it from six to 11 to where it was. Our people are tired of being hit with these tickets by going just slightly over the speed limit. And I ask for your favorable support on this repeal. The chair recognizes Alderman Riley. As I understand it, uh, Alderman Beal has made a motion to discharge from committee. But sadly, my colleague, his notice of motion to discharge was not timely filed with the clerk. Rule 41 requires that the notice be provided no later than the fifth business day preceding the day of city council meeting. And the notice was filed on Friday, September 10th, time stamped at 9.23 a.m., which was only two business days ago. Accordingly, I move to lay on the table Alderman Beal's motion to discharge. Alderman Beal, you're asking this body to engage in a substantive act to repeal an ordinance that was previously passed. And as you recall, the ordinance which allowed for ticketing at six was actually passed probably, I believe, in 2018. But you're asking this body to take substantive action today. Is that correct? Absolutely. Substantive action requires us to comply with the Open Meetings Act. Well, Your, let, let me just finish. If I may, if I may finish, when it was filed if I may finish, sir, if I may finish, sir, substantive action requires us to comply with the Open Meetings Act. And Alderman Riley, I believe, is correct in his reading of Rule 41, which is that any substantive action to comply with the Open Meetings Act has to be filed five days before. That's the rules of this body. Given that, your motion is untimely and it will be denied. Here we are. Yes, here we are. We, we have to come. You have to comply with the rules. I, you, allow, you allow me to let you finish. I'm asking Please. for the same consideration. Please. This is exactly why we need our own corporation council. Time and time again, anything that we try to do, we're out of order, ladies and gentlemen. Why are we always out of order? When Good question. To, when we try to do something substantive, we're out of order. We need our own corporation council, you all. And I appeal the ruling of the chair by a roll call vote. The chair recognizes Alderman Riley. Last I checked, a motion to lay on the table is not debatable. And I had already made that motion on Alderman Beal's order. I guess I'm renewing my, my motion to lay on the table Alderman Beal's motion to discharge. The chair recognizes Alderman Irvin. I think that the ruling that the chair made was that the matter is out of order. There's no need for a table. It's out of order. He's asked for an appeal. 
We'll vote on the appeal and that should resolve this as I understand this. Ladies and gentlemen, I have ruled the motion by Alderman Beal to be out of order because the motion wasn't timely. A substantive motion of this kind requires five days notice in order for us not to violate the Open Meetings Act. A question before the body is shall the ruling of the chair be upheld. The motion you're considering is shall the ruling of the chair that Alderman Beal's motion is out of order be upheld. And they made a vote and the mayor's ruling was upheld 35 to nine. I've got some observations, but first, Ben, what do you think? Well, I have tons of, by the way, thank you for including that. And I, I, I'm, I know I'm a geek when I say this. I love these little parliamentary skirmishes at Chicago City Council. I do it for you, man. I just love them. I love when they like they find that inner Robert Rules of Order parliamentarian that exists in all of them. I mean, a guy like Anthony Beal, he's been an alderman in the Chicago City Council for the Ninth Ward. I want to say, God, he beat the Shaws. Um, when when was it? Would that have been? It was. It was uh, at least. Uh, f- 15 years. I've lost track of time. So he's been in there a long time. Point is, and he's listened to a lot of debates and he's really, he's just like memorized the book. And uh, Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward has memorized the book clearly. Brendan Riley is member. They sit there and they just know this stuff. They're like uh, baseball fanatics uh, who play fantasy baseball and just know all the ins and the outs. Uh, I would have voted with Anthony Beal. I think it's absolutely. I have no idea how late he was, and I, re, I remember when Joe Moore pulled this stunt on uh, uh, who was it? I think it was Fioretti and John Arena on a, on a matter of elected school board. The matter wasn't in timely enough. Or I I forget what the issue was, but it's a similar thing. Like when was it? When was the stamp? on the council's office that when it was actually that it's got to be within 24 hours. What it is, Dave, I remember you and I discussing this many years ago, everything they could do to avoid an elected school board. So anything they could do to avoid whether we should repeal this law, they will do. And all of a sudden they turn into every minute counts. And when it's, when the shoes on the other foot, Oh, but come on. It was only a minute late. Why you got, you're just playing games with us. And we were, we, the last time we had this discussion, you remember how the mayor was like inconsistently making rulings uh, on various motions before her. And uh, it was Maria Haddon came on the show and explained how you have to have a certain system that you follow. So now we're going to follow the system because <laughs> Anthony Beal, who the mayor cannot stand, and I don't think Anthony has any love. Anthony Beale has any love for Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, is uh, coming up with this motion. So uh, I would have voted for with Beale, uh, Dave, just because <laughs> just because it would be I would just go up. I'm voting with you, Anthony Beale, just because. Well, I went back and read Rule 41. Yes. The city council's rules, and it simply requires that Beal filed his motion five days, five business days in advance of the council meeting, as Alderman Riley said. And according to Alderman Riley, Beal did not do that. He filed it two, little over two business days in advance. And there's another issue. Uh, so, so, so that is the reason for the mayor ruling him out of order. 
you know, uh, Riley mixes things up by, you know, making a motion lay on the table, which, uh, as Irvin points out, is, you know, unneeded because, you know, life can simply will be a lot of order. But then Lightfoot mixes things up by invoking the Open Meetings Act. And, <laughs> and, and the Rule 41 has, makes no mention of the Open Meetings Act. It just says it's got to be five days in advance, you know. Oh, and as I read the Open Meetings Act, it generally requires for a public meeting to, to be public notice two days in advance. So I don't know where she's getting this Open Meetings Act thing. So some, some serious obfuscation going on with this thing. And, and, and you know what? You're right. It's all ducking and dodging the central issue, Dave. You're absolutely correct. Guys, deal with it. You should have a hearing. Just setting it to rules. I'm with Peel on this one. Here's a legitimate uh, request. This requires a debate. This is a tax. This is a fine. We talked about this with Mark Wallace, who's in the show. You're getting, this is like the most regressive way to fund government. Now, if you want to make the argument that this is all about safety, then you should have a public policy debate on this in front of the city council. The mayor can make her argument. They could bring out their statistics. They could be questioned. You could see where the fines are going. So let's see how fairly it's being enforced. Who's paying it. So each side can make his or her case. And then you have a vote. Let me point out another, now that you mentioned that, another problem with Beale's uh, motion is that initially he said he wanted to dis. So he apparently, a while back, he created an ordinance to repeal this uh, change to the, to the speed camera uh, ordinance that was passed not long ago. Mm-hmm. Well, what he was moving at the outset of his comments was to discharge his ordinance from committee. But then he like started freelancing. He started saying, well, I then and now I want the city council to vote on my ordinance. Well, you know, discharge. He was moving to have a discharge from committee, which is different from having it introduced to the council, I believe. So it it was it was getting even more, more confusing on everyone's part. Well, if you discharge it, going back to my point, the man made a, a proposal. It was sent to the Rules Committee, which is where they send proposals they don't want to deal with. And they, they, lie, they lie there unless uh, you invoke Rule 41, in which the city council is forced to vote as to whether you remove it uh, from the Rules Committee and bring it back to the full council where you can have these hearings and address it. And my point is the way they use the Rules Committee on substantive matters uh, is – to put it mildly counterproductive. So I believe this is a legitimate topic for debate, whether this is an unfair tax and fee they're putting on poor people in the city of Chicago uh, and whether it uh, or whether it has any real value in terms of making the streets safer. Yeah, so arguably if 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 he were to have a successful motion to discharge it from rules, then I'm not sure, but then it could arguably have gone then to the public safety or the traffic safety, I can't, I'm not sure which, committee for the kind of deliberation that you're yes, talking about. Yes, absolutely. They have regular meetings. Rules only meets when they have to, uh, well, they're, they're now overseeing the uh, redistricting of Chicago, but essentially they're like a repository where you dump legislation you don't want. Uh, the city council to address or the who's, mayor doesn't want who's to, to die. Council. Yeah. And they only, they only convene when the mayor wants to 
extricate a piece of legislation that like, let's say Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez sent to rules when she sent uh, the recent ordinance having to do again, an issue having to do with uh, slapping fines and poor people. Asset forfeiture. Asset forfeiture. Sue gang, alleged gang members uh, who uh, violate the law to get, get them to uh, pay fines to the city or give up assets. So she sent that to rules. Boom. They had a meeting as quick as they could possibly have on the rules committee to kick that out of rules and send it back to the council. Yeah. That was three days after the meeting. Yeah. That we we're talking. So the rules this, this is, this is not like legitimate democracy, ladies and gentlemen, you know what I mean? This is not the city council uh, debating issues that are relevant to you. Uh, this is the games they play to bury legislation. And uh, so ben, Brendan Riley was just perpetuating this, like invoking some rule that may or may not have been true. Uh, and listen, they had a vote on that. We, we began with a discussion, a very difficult, contentious issue of whether they uh, approve the, uh, uh, the new contract with the police. So... They had to make that vote. That's a tough vote. This is another tough vote. It's another tough vote because when they all run for office, Dave, and you know, you've been in a lot of those forums. They're against red light cameras. They're against speed uh, limit cameras. They're talking about how it's an unfair tax on the burden uh, on the backs of the people who can at least afford to pay it. But then when it comes to change it, they don't want to deal with it because what? They need the money for the city. So I know what we'll do. We'll kick it to the rules. And let it just die and <laughs> Oh, my God, what a city. You got to use the tools available to you if you're in power, right? That is correct. You will use uh, the tools available. Well, the other tool is just have a straight-up vote. And my guess is if it was th- – what was the vote? Did you say 35 to 9? Do you have the, yeah. the 9? Did you have those in front of you? By I don't chair? have it in front of me. Okay, I'm really curious who the 9 were. Uh, I'll have to look that up. But uh, – if you're going to vote on whether you're going to kick it out, remove it from the rules back to the council, you can have the vote on the measure itself. <laughs> it, you get what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. presumably it would still be a 35 to nine vote. Maybe a few more people would grandstand, uh, you know, and vote um, against, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, for the measure uh, if it was uh, came to a vote in the city council than who voted on this one because it's not quite clear to the general public you know what the, when you vote uh with the mayor to keep it in the rules committee it's it may not be clear to the people that you're actually voting against uh or you're actually voting for the speed limit uh, law so well, to the mayor's credit she did state what people were voting for like shall the ruling of the chair that alderman's bill motion is out of order be upheld that's uh, i know no i but the point is um What's, what's the larger issue? Yeah, it's it's yeah. not a direct vote on uh, the speed limit. Yeah, it's not a direct vote that people can recognize as like my alderman voted to keep uh, the speed limit at uh, six miles an hour over, which means I'll probably have to pay a fine. You get what I'm saying? It was not a direct vote on that. It was one step removed from that. Uh, and so the vote may there may have been more votes against the mayor uh, had that had that issue been voted on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm sensing we don't have much time left. Is that right? 
Yeah, we're pretty much out of time. What was the what? But there was like a surprise one you had for me. I'm really curious about the surprise one. So we might as well go for it. What do you got? How much time do we have? Uh, we got about five minutes. Uh, that's not going to work. Okay. All right. We'll have to hold this for another time. The surprise <laughs> rise, rise. So, Dave, before we go, I have to ask you, how would you have voted? Uh, would you have voted with Beal or would you have voted uh, with Alderman Riley on that last measure? Go ahead, Dave. So the issue, as you pointed out, is whether uh, well, the, the two ways to look at it is was Beal out of order? And as my read of the situation is he was out of order because he didn't file his discharge motion uh, soon enough. But the larger issue is, should this thing be, as you said, this issue about the speed limit cameras, should it be reconsidered? Should it not be part where motions go to die? And I'll just leave it at that capsulation <laughs> to show that I understand I understand the issues. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever have a private conversation, this guy's the biggest leftist in the world. But when he comes on this show, just I'm just dealing with the facts. OK, uh, Dave Glowatz does a great job inside Chicago government and uh, does a great job. Mr. Bike, by the way, you, you left the conversation. You didn't hear about Andy Fox, who was my first guest. This guy goes for like a thousand miles bike rides. This guy's a serious uh, bicyclist. Yeah, there's, there's treatment for that. <laughs> You're more of a go from A to B type of bike rider. Am I correct? You know what I mean? You got a place to go. You go like. Utility is what well, we call it. There's a, the categories utility, recreational, and uh, competition are generally the three categories that people think about in categorizing, categorizing people who bicycle. And I'm, I'm not of the latter two. I'm a utility. Oh, there's, there's a straight up recreational. I do bike camp. So that's, uh, that's something I enjoy doing. Well, I'm straight up utility uh, and uh, kind of look straight up utility. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, Dave Gloatz, thank you very Let much. Me, may, I, uh, may I give thank you. May I give the, um, the social media. Go ahead. Uh, listeners can find the extended version of this episode at the Inside Chicago Government website. That's shygov.com, C-H-I-G-O-V.com. Find Inside Chicago Government on Facebook at facebook.com slash inside gov and on Twitter at C-H-I-G-O-V-T. And I appreciate, Ben, uh, your time and I appreciate Dennis's efforts. Thank you very much. Yes. And uh, every at least once a month, Dave Goetz comes on with his city council synopsis. Really good stuff. Outstanding job he does. And check out uh, Inside Chicago Government. also want to thank Andy Fox, uh, who was on the show earlier, talking about enforcing the work wage laws, et cetera, and so forth. And uh, I want to course thank the man the myth the legend the pride of joy of alton illinois without whom the show would be possible and as dave glowatz and andy fox will tell you back home in alton they call him white lightning give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash see you tomorrow everybody
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.